I mean, that's where it's so much more rewarding because you're not just, you know, fin- you know, touching first and you're celebrating for yourself. You're pointing at your coach and, uh, and swimming, you know, and water polo. It's like, man, you know, we, we bled together for this. We trained for this. And despite all these other things that we can't control, we were able to dominate our opponent and we were, and we were able to win. And now we can celebrate together uh, collectively. Hello and welcome to the Well You Mental Training Podcast. My name is Brian Alexander and I'll be your host today. Our guest is current USA Men's National Water Polo Team Assistant Coach and Long Beach State University Head Water Polo Coach, Gavin Arroyo. He has coached at Long Beach State for 14 seasons, earning the Conference Coach of the Year Award three times. Before transitioning to coaching, Gavin was an incredible athlete. He earned All-American honors at UC Berkeley, helping the team win three national championship titles. He also was a two-time U.S. Olympian, having competed for the USA water polo teams in the 1996 Atlanta Games and the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. Gavin played professional water polo in Greece and Spain for seven years, which provided him with a wealth of international sport and cultural life experience. In fact, his wife is from the island of Crete in Greece, and they have two lovely daughters and reside in Long Beach, California. His wealth of knowledge, having played all around the world for some of the best coaches in the sport of water polo, as well as the guidance and mentorship he received growing up as a competitive swimmer have shaped his coaching philosophy. A few things you will hear in this episode are differences he found between swimming and water polo, the impact of what you can and can't control in a team sport has on an athlete and on their parents, how the culture of his youth club shaped his mentality on race days, the importance of respect for all things in a sport and on a team, and a bit about the right match for student-athletes seeking recruitment for colleges. There's a lot here, so you aren't going to want to miss a minute of this one. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, and search for the WellU app to download onto your device and engage in some athlete mental training. Now, let's dive into this episode with Coach Gavin Arroyo. Hey, Gavin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to learn from you today, and I know our listeners are going to gain a ton of insight from your story and and the mental training and and skills that you use on a daily basis, and uh, we couldn't be more excited to have a two-time Olympian on the podcast. Well, I've learned a lot from you over these past few years, Brian, so (laughs) feelings feelings (laughs) mutual. Thanks. Thanks. Well, can we start from the beginning and figure out what's first sparked your interest in water polo yeah i i I grew up a swimmer um you know back then water polo wasn't uh let's say as in depth as it is now we had probably had a three-month season you know through the age group programs before you got to high school uh we'd go two nights a week and so you were doing morning workouts for swimming you do afternoon workout for swimming and then for that three month period, two nights a week, you'd get to go, you know, throw the ball around for an hour. Um, so that was kind of the extent of where that started. Uh, my swim coach, Everett Uchiyama, he, uh, you know, he was a Long Beach, uh, he came from Long Beach Beach Swim Club and then came to SoCal and, and 
him and John Urbanchek and that group, they were really, uh, they really pushed both water polo and swimming. So mm-hmm. I think I was very fortunate to have that kind of education, you know, when I was younger that, you know, hey, swimming's not stealing from water polo, water polo's not stealing from swimming. They, they can, they can coexist. And, uh, and that was just kind of the, I guess the air of how I grew up, how I was socialized in the aquatics. So, yeah. And there's always been that that battle for pool space and athletes between the two sports. So it sounds like you started as a swimmer and then were given the opportunity a couple of nights a week to throw the ball around around and, and play water polo. So is, is that kind of how it went down? Yeah, you know, and, and water polo was always a great break from swimming and swimming was, you know, a good break from water polo. And I think through high school, the, in my experience, anyway, the, the two were able to coexist pretty peacefully. You know, Everett would sit down with me and map out summer um, stuff. Or this, this day, this week, you're focusing on water polo. This week, you're focusing on swimming. You're going to taper here for swimming. And then after that, it's you're ready for, and you know, the mornings you're going to your high school program or however those things would map out, he would um, pretty much map my life out for me. And it was a good plans and it, and it worked out really well. So that sounds like great mentorship from an early age in terms of goal setting and structuring your schedule and being able to balance. So. Yeah. And you know, you know, when you're, when you're that age, you just, you just kind of follow what your mentors are telling you to do. And you know, they're, you didn't really have parents involved. You didn't have, you just kind of did what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Different time for, indeed compared to now, but it's important as you're saying to have those role models and mentors in your life to help shape the direction that you can go. For sure. So that's great to hear. For sure. So moving through both those sports, yeah, it looks like you've had a lot of success in both swimming and, and water polo at a young age. Um, you won swimmer of the year and high school player of the year honors and, so looking back at that, what were some of the key characteristics you developed to reach those achievements? You know, I think people today always are, are tweeting out and you just keep hearing the word culture, culture, culture. And um, what culture means to me is just it's it's just your daily your daily habits, your your daily expectations, how, how you're going to operate, like how you're going to operate individually and how you're going to operate as a group and. And again, I was very fortunate to be socialized in, in, uh, in the SoCal club growing up. And it was it was a race every day mentality. Uh, you know, Dave Salo, uh, Every Chama, John Urbanchek, that, that group really, they kind of shifted away from the, hey, we'd, we're not going to go 10,000 meters today, but we're going to go four to five. But, you know, everything we're doing is racing. And, mm. and I think it just... You just, uh, whether you realize it or not, you start building this habit in your head, you know, maybe you're sick or maybe you don't feel well that day, or maybe, you know, had a bad day at school or, but once you got to the pool, it was, well, you know what, this, this guy or this girl's not going to beat me, or, you know, you're chasing the faster girl or guy. And once you got in the pool, it just, everything went away and it just became about that, you know, and sometimes it was easy. Sometimes it was hard and, but it just, it, that was always the, the, the constant. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that idea of showing up to the pool, leaving all the other stuff behind and maybe at the gates as you enter the pool deck and right. racing every day as sort of a, 
uh, mindset and a mantra almost. Are there certain characteristics for you or certain thought processes that you had that shaped the way you raced? Um, I just think whoever got to the wall first, <laughs> not, to, not, to, <laughs> not to oversimplify it, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, you're doing your warm up and this and that. And then when that first set comes around, you kind of settle into, okay, what, what are my goals here? What, what, what time am I supposed to come in at? And then, and then, and then it was, okay, well, uh, there's no way you're beating me. I don't care. There's no way. And, uh, yeah. And so in some ways swimming's easier in that respect because it's basically just you against your brain and, and you against how you feel. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot less distractions, um, in, in swimming. So, yeah. How does that differ from playing water polo? God, I mean, how, how much time do we got? <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. No, I mean, it, it's stuff that you talk about with our guys all the time too. I mean, water polo is on so many levels, so great. Um, because there's so many things that you can't control. There's so many moving parts. Um, and I, th- why it's so great for, for younger kids, especially this generation is that you, you want to win. Okay. So, but you know, Johnny or Sally's not feeling well today and they're not, they're not doing their job or you're not feeling great and you're not doing your job and, or the referees are not great. And, or, or your opponents are on fire that day or all these things that are happening and, and going on at the same time and trying to manage that mentally on what you can do and the steps, you know, what your strategy on, on dealing with those things are, I have tremendous value. Uh, I just, I, I can't, you don't think about it when you're doing it. You don't think about it when you're going through, but you know, as you get older and you start kind of dissecting and you start, let's say looking at uh, how kids behave with with uh, with failure and um, yeah then it starts just all kind of making sense and um you know i've i've, I've had some conversations with some of our club parents you know because my daughter's playing and mm-hmm. you know the parents are really on about playing time the, the parents are really on about winning the parents are really on about who's starting the parents are really on about all this kind of stuff and i just try to say listen uh you know you your your daughter's expected to be on time right Okay, well, that's she's getting more than than most kids her age. Okay, now, now your daughter's uh, experiencing some physical uh, distress, and now your daughter's uh, playing with maybe some girls that aren't nice to her. And now you got to navigate through those situations, and so you're navigating through all these things that um, that pr- bring so much value to things that the real world, uh, you know, is throws in your face every day. And they, and they don't even realize that they're, they're doing it They're And that's the beauty, yeah. the beauty of it. Um, you know, with, with swimming and things like that, you show up, you race, you get out, you go home. And it's, it's, it's that simple. You either, you know, and you get tired <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah, you, get tired. you get tired and you eat and you sleep well, and then you repeat, you know? Um, yeah. But I just think that's the beauty of water pools, just all those things that, uh, you know, force, and parents too. It's, 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 it's great to watch the parents in the stands become unglued because I think most of them are, you know, relatively successful in their, in their daily lives. And, um, they can't control the referees. They can't control, um, their daughter or son's teammates. Uh, they can't, there's so many uncontrollables and it, it, it's really interesting to watch people go nuts on, on the things that uh, they can't control. So I think it's good for them, yeah. them too. And, Hopefully they take a step back and say, oh, my gosh, I acted, 
you know, I acted really uh, immaturely today. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe they acted great. Or they were great models. Yeah. For their kids. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to mention names, but I, I went to one game and uh, this group of parents were so amazingly well behaved. And the referee was, you know, maybe calling some calls against them. I was just kind of waiting for the explosion. And and they just they just kept cheering for their kids. And I was like, well, yeah, there's there there is hope. Uh, here in this in this realm you know <laughs> yeah yeah i love the message that you're sending though and the difference between an individual sport like swimming where you actually can stay in your own lane right right and, and uh team sport like water polo where so much changes in terms of what you can't control right and what can distract you from from that that aspect of putting your effort and energy into those things and um you know in our well you app we have this program called controlling the controllables uh-huh. and we talk about how it helps athletes develop resilience and yeah, I, what you're talking about in terms of struggle and uh, and going through the struggle and experiencing it and then learning all these valuable life skills as you come through it and come out of it i think that's really important for athletes to hear yeah and i think i think really you obviously after you're doing it for long enough, you, I, I think the goal is to get into just a, in my mind, a disposition. Like I'm just going to be in this frame of mind where I'm confident that I'm feeling good about my decisions and I'm not going to allow this to happen and let my, my training take over. And, you know, again, I, I know it's maybe some redundant for the things that you talk about a lot. Um, but I think those things are pretty key, you know, and on, yeah. and on the, on the, the, the flip side on that too is, when it all comes together and you do find success, when you do, let's say, win the game, I mean, that's where it's so much more rewarding because you're not just, you know, fin- you know, touching first and you're celebrating for yourself. You're pointing at your coach and, uh, and swimming, you know, and water polo. It's like, man, you know, we, we bled together for this. We trained for this. And despite all these other things that we can't control, we were able to dominate our opponent and we we're, and we're able to win. And now we can celebrate together uh, collectively. And that's, for me, that was the the transition away from swimming to water polo. Was that, hey, here's a, you know yeah. my 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 best friends I get to hang out with, and and we just look what we just did, you know. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we can move forward to competing at the highest level that you reached for the U.S. national team and the Olympic team. Yeah, and and maybe you could talk about what that process was like for you competing for Team USA, um, whether it was the tryout part of the selection process and training and, and competitions what was it like for you um i mean i think it's definitely a process um i think there was some lessons along the way if you will or you know there's again going back to mentors um you know rich corso and ricardo azevedo kind of a you i think your mentors need to when you talk about goal setting they need to plant the seed you know, put the dream in your head. Um, something that you don't think some people, like some guys are just like, Hey, I'm the best and nobody's going to touch me. And, and, and they don't, you really have to do some soul searching and some, I, I was a little bit more of, well, you know, a little bit lower on confidence at times. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. those mentors step in and say, no, no, listen, I think you could do this. I mean, in my opinion, you, if you do X, Y, and Z, I think you have a chance to do this. And then once that dream is, is settled in there, then, and then uh, you just go after I was we I was on the junior team, didn't make the youth team. But on the junior team, we were 
we were training with uh, Partizan was in town, a club from uh, from Yugoslavia with Serbia now, and they were the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at that time, the best club. And I had a swim meet. I was supposed to swim the eight hundred meter free on a Friday night, and we were supposed to scrimmage. And and Ricardo was just like, "Hey, listen, I think you might be able to make an Olympic team if you really focused on water polo." So, wow. so, so kind of like stop messing around with this stuff. <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and I, I think that, that was kind of a crossroad pivotal moment. And ironically, it was right in front of the gates at Long Beach State. Um, wow. Yeah. So, wow. That was a little foreshadowing there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then going back and forth, going to training, went to Cal, swam, played water polo. And then, you know, college is college. And when tryouts happened in uh, 93, you know, I was kind of was pretty out of shape. And you, at that age, you don't really realize how out of shape or how in shape you're supposed to be. And, you know, Rich Corso pulled me aside and says, you know, you better you better get your, you know, your stuff together. Uh, <laughs> if I can use the euphemism, but um, <laughs> yeah, but sure. He had some different choices. Yeah. But but, but it, again, yeah. it was a wake up call, you know, and now as a coach, you, you look at your group of athletes and you've invested in this group, whether large or small and um you know, if, if one of your investments is going astray, you need to, you know, get them back in line. And it worked. And I swam my freshman year and I swam my senior year. And I swam my senior year basically to get my stuff together. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was really a good decision. And, and, and Rich, uh, uh, you know, decided that that was enough for me to make that 96 team. So that I was serious enough at that time. That's great. Yeah, that's great. These mentors, coaches, um, people in your life, you know, that's a great, great lesson. And, and it's important to be open to that, too, and, and be open to the advice they're giving you. Were you always so open and, and so eager to receive that feedback and, and change your behavior? Or how was that? Yeah, I mean, I think I was, for the most part, a player's coach. I mean, I think I did want to please my coaches. Um but I think like anything, life's happening. And I think as coaches, sometimes if as coaches, water polo is our life or our sports, our life. And but you got to remember that kids have other things going on, too, that are important to them. Um, their social aspect, right. aspect, um, um, whatever, other, just a whole bunch of things going on. So where sport fits into their priority may not be the same as yours. You've dedicated your life and your family's livelihood to the sport and and some kids are, hey, I'm just kind of playing water polo or um, finding that commitment level. Um, so I think I think that's where coaches sometimes have to step back. And there's some ebb and flow, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. look at like when you look at the Michael Phelps and you look at some of these greats and they're human. You know, they're going to they've been swimming or doing their dedication to sport for so long. They're going to they're going to get distracted for some time before they come back to to what's important. You know, you miss out on a lot. I never had a spring break growing up. I worked, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. we're, I worked at target for a week to do inventory, like to save money to go to Hawaii, you know, you, there's training, there's trips for, there's always something going on. And, uh, you know, kids need a break too, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a really important point. Well, maybe, maybe we could talk a little bit about what it's like, what it was like for you playing professionally in Greece and Spain. I know I, I played over in both of those countries yeah. 
And I, I know that the struck the daily structure that I went through and how much downtime there actually was when I was over there playing without school. Yeah. So um, maybe we could talk about the cultural experience you had around water polo and life in competing in those countries as well. Well, after, after 96 Olympics, Spain won the gold medal and, um, you know, I was pretty much in awe of, of those guys being a first time Olympian. I was 20, uh, 26 years old. And, uh, uh, I wanted to be with the, with the best. And, uh, so right after the Olympics, I was able to get over to, to Barcelona, uh, play with Salvador Gomez, who's five, he's five time Olympian, anyway, well-decorated one of our greatest, uh, right. Yeah. Athletes. And I think, I mean, I think each experience, you, there's tons of things you can learn. I mean, there's there's the coaches, there's the players, there's the the, co- the country itself. Uh, taking it all in and the hardships of being a foreigner um, and maybe living a little less, uh, living pretty, let's say, bare bones. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we, yeah. I mean, so I think I think at, well, at some point you can make a decent amount of money. I didn't, you, but you got to get your start. So I think the first year there, I was I was making. Um, I had meals and I think I had like 600 bucks a month, um, which was pretty much gone the first week and a half of them every month. So you're, (laughs) you're living pretty bare bones and you just find a way to make it work. So, you know, maybe a space heater and it gets pretty cold and then, um, you know, training and and learn, trying to learn the language and all that stuff happening at the same time, I think is, I think it's so important. I think it's so good just for perspective on, but now, but, but what stays the same or what stays similar to the same is the training. You know, you, this is a vehicle you're familiar with. So again, once, once the pool's in there, the, they're yelling at you in Spanish to, to, you know, what the sets are or what to do. And, but the, the water polo is the water polo and the training hard is training hard. So, um, yeah, you, you get back and, and you seek comfort in things that are familiar. And, and I think you just build, build through those experiences and they, they make it tougher for sure. Um, so, I mean, that was Spain and then, and then going over to Greece, same thing. It's like, okay, well, here's a language that, wow, um, <laughs> that's, it's all Greek to me kind of thing. Right. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's a different, uh, Athens is different than Barcelona. It's a different kind of culture, uh, even though it's Europe. Um, but the training, I think, was totally different. I think at that time in the world, the, the Spanish used their their club practices to kind of fine tune for the national team. And you know, at that time, Greece still had to have prove itself on the international stage uh, during those years. So the the training was different. It was harder. It was more professional, I guess. We trained six hours a day uh, in Greece. And uh, in, in Spain, mm. it was a little bit less. Uh, so um, that was there was downtime downtime was recovering sleeping and you know grabbing a coffee and um you know in in spain i was able to take a spanish class and you know go for walks around the city and you know yeah yeah balance if you will but you know there's there's times to ebb and flow and there's times to grind and there's times to to fine tune and depending on your age and and that kind of thing but yeah definitely uh, definitely i think that's very valuable too for for listeners to hear young athletes or, you know, athletes going through it right now um, yeah. that there's ebb and flow and, and there's adjustment periods to different cultural experiences, whether it's just changing clubs or changing from one level to the next in high school or college or, 
uh, youth levels. I, I think that's really important. But like you said, you know, there's there's a common language in all of it, and that's the sport that you're playing. Even if you know you don't speak the language with your teammates, right? You can still speak the language of your sport as well as knowing how to push yourself and train hard in the way that you get the most out of yourself. So that's great. You know, you talk about these ebb and flows and as an athlete, you're just, you just kind of follow the program of your, of your coaches and things like that. Right. Like it's okay to uh, take an eight month period where you're really digging into stuff. Right. It's okay to, again, and then take like a month. It's almost like running, right? Like I've, I've been trying to run and I'll, I'll run this far and then I'll walk for 30 seconds or a minute and then I can run longer. Mm-hmm. So I think it, when you're, when you're going through these periodizations of transferring from high school to college and those things of, you know, switch, switch up. If you switch up your training a little bit and, and lay on, you know, sometimes the, 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 the success failure, if you can take that out of, if, if it's, if it's weighing heavy on you, then swim more or, just, you know, cause in that there's not a lot of success failure in, in that uh, part of it. Right. Like if I'm shooting a lot and I'm missing him, I don't feel good about my shot and go swim. Like, yeah. And vice versa. I, I, I knew, I knew too, that it would take every time I switched clubs in Europe, it would take about three months to adapt before I started playing. Oh, okay. And initially I was pretty frustrated, you know, cause you want, you're coming into a new job, if you will, and you want to prove that you can bring value and, and you just, things just aren't right, you know, in your head or, and then once you hit that comfort level, then I, then you would, then I would take off. I, I just knew after the first three or four switches of club, then I'd just be like, okay, well, this is going to take three months. Just, just keep training, just stay with it. And then sure enough, uh, you know, you'd kind of start being who you are. Yeah. You know? That's a, that's a really great example. I, I think that's very relevant, especially for confidence and kind of like what you were saying when you're at Cal and, and trying to, figure out your own path and your own confidence. Um, but being able to adapt and say, Hey, look, it's normal. It's normal to go through this uh, phase of not seeing a lot of results, not playing the way you, you expect to play or the way that you expected to be when you showed up and, and just grinding and persevering through that struggle. That's, that's really useful. Uh, Is that kind of what, what you experienced and, and how you saw it in terms of confidence and, and making adjustments and adapting. Uh, for sure. I mean, confidence is a huge, it's everything, right. And, and you're going to ebb and flow and, and your confidence is based off usually your last performance, right. Or your last training or your last game or, and I think it's really important for kids to know that, just because you have a bad day doesn't make you a bad player. I mean, I think our generation was raised in this a little bit more of a fixed mindset of, you know, you're a winner or you're a loser, right. Or you, uh, you do or do not, you know, there is no try kind of thing. Um, And I think it kind of wore on me in my career toward the end. I, I I knew what I was capable of. I knew my, how I would perform. Um, And if I wasn't hitting that standard, it was very frustrating for me. Uh, and that can, and that can weigh on you quite a bit. And over the course of time, that can, it can be, it can be a lot. Uh, I, I I think if we had someone like you when I was going through, I think I, I I probably would have been, I would have played a little bit longer. Um, it's just, uh, just 
because back then you judge yourself on, and a lot of people do still today is like, how many goals did I score? Or blah, blah. They're, they're not focusing on these things that, that I know that you're talking about with our guys is, you know, let's find those. Did I get a shot block in this situation? Did I, uh, you know, did I make a great pass? Did I, did I dictate in the press? Did I pull this guy out of position? Like finding little things that actually bring tons of value. Now that, now that, you know, now that I'm a coach that as a player, you're like, ah, oh, no, I just, that, that, that's not enough. Like, you know, if I don't have a three goal game, then I, then I underperformed. You're like, well, well, you're a defensive yeah. player. Like what, what, what did the structure, what are the circumstances uh, present to you in that game? Like, mm-hmm. you, and then finding value, being, being smarter on, on, on judging yourself. Yeah. Finding value in the micro successes of your role on the team. Right. That's exactly what I was supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's true though. It's true. And then, and we, we talk about those circumstances. Sometimes it's just the, the game flow is not going to open up you to think, you know, for you to have those micros or macro successes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, wrapping up your career as an athlete before we transition to, to your role as a coach now, what are the best game memories or lessons that you learned competing in the Olympic Games or professionally overseas? Oh, that's uh, there's a lot of lessons yeah. there, I think. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> the disappointment for, uh, of not meddling uh, was certainly still haunts, um, but I think obviously it's been what 20 years now um and being around and coaching in um, on that level you 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 know a little more about the structure of how things work and um it's not you know it's it's almost like um it's almost like the disney fairy tale princess thing um it's not realistic it can happen um uh, but there are there are a lot of things that are talk about things beyond your control. There's a lot of things that work, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a team, for a team to medal. And, uh, you know, that's, that's tough. So yeah, that, that makes it easier knowing all the kind of, uh, other factors that are, that are happening or, or actually playing overseas and seeing what the Europeans are doing and there and there's club structure. Yeah. But what we're up against, um, they just, just, it just is, uh, it's, it puts us in a difficult situation until we can get a fair amount of guys playing for a couple of years over there and then come together to play. I think that's just to give us a, a fair shake from the get go. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I, I can totally imagine that for any athlete, just knowing your opponent better by experiencing what they're experiencing and being able to break down some of the uncertainty and, and some of the, the, um, <clears throat> the reputation that precedes them that may or may not be true based on what's actually happening there. And I think that's really useful too. And, and being a student of that game and, and being able to see video and, and all that too. I mean, that helps. Well, they're just, they're just more seasoned. They get, they get at that, at that level, they get more games, uh, you know, at a higher level yeah. and, and they're pros. I mean, they're, if you don't win, you're, you you do not get resigned. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if you're a foreigner and you don't and you don't perform, guess what? They're they're you're they're already looking for your replacement in in March. Mm. You know. Yeah. So. Well, that's really useful. Thanks for going through that. Those memories of you yourself as an athlete, and there's a lot of coaching lessons there as well. But 
let's transition now to what it was like for you to go from athlete to coach and how you actually have adjusted the mindset from being in the water to now on the deck. What was, what's that been like for you? Um, I mean, it's, it's been a while now, yeah. so. <laughs> but I think early on it, um, you know, I had a, I had a very clinical coach, uh, when I played for Olympiacos, um, he was one of the greats, Nicholas Dominic, and he, he had a way of breaking down the game and compartmentalizing the game and almost what, uh, our teacher, you know, normal teachers would do, um, breaking things into lesson plans and building blocks and, and skill sets. And, um, that really, that really worked with way my mind, I, I, I just worked for me. Uh, it made everything took away a lot of the gray. It, uh, everything was, was black and white. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when the, when you, when you know the skill set, the skill sets, building blocks, and then, and then putting that together in pieces to, to build your, your group and playing with a group of guys that, uh, know exactly what to do and everyone can read each other's mind and be hundred percent in sync and anything that's thrown at you was, was, how can I say it was, it was something mm. kind of new for me. Um, and honestly, if I don't, uh, if I didn't play for him, I don't, I don't know if I would have been coaching. I, I think let's say playing for him sealed that the fact that I wanted to coach because now it's almost like I've been given this, this book of knowledge and, uh, what are you going to do with it now? Um, it's that, kind of pay it forward, uh, moment, yeah. you know? Um, and I was, I mean, I, I was pretty tired when I quit, um, mentally, uh, I'd been going since, you know, age nine and stopped at 31. And, uh, so when I, when, when Kirk Everest asked me if I wanted to come coach at, at Cal with him, um, mm. you know, I kind of jumped on that and, and I found, you know, being around Cal guys, there's, couple of players, you know, pretty intelligent guys and they're asking you questions. And as a new coach, you're kind of like, no, you just do it <laughs> yeah, like this, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> you know, but so within, you know, guys would send you home and you just in your head think, well, I oh, know I gotta, I gotta break that down more. Or, you know, why, why did, what did my coach tell me to do it? Like, Oh, okay. Well that makes sense. So you do a lot of kind of revisiting of, of the coursework of the information and, you know, and then how you're going to organize it. And, uh, and I think I, I, I really enjoyed giving kids uh, really, really mm -hmm. important tools to, to be successful. And, and, I, and I knew through my experience at that time that, that it was pretty rare information. Um, I, I, I knew playing for Nikola that, well, well, there's a reason why Yugoslavia is in Serbia and Croatia and these, this is a reason why they're kind of ahead of us in, in certain areas. They, they're, they're, their skill sets are are honed and I, I, I want to give that to our guys. I want to give that to, to yeah. our kids, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like you've so. learned a lot just by jumping right into it and giving an opportunity. But then again, all those mentors and all those coaches that you had, and especially with Stominich, you know, later in your career, just kind of watching and learning and absorbing as well and, and seeing, okay, how do you adapt that in your own style? Right. Well, yeah. And then, but, and then you get to cross check it with, you know, great coaches like Tony Astaire, um, you know, uh, Kiriakos Yanopoulos, uh, Vagelis Rupakas. I mean, you get, you don't just get the American way or you don't just get the Serbian way or the Spanish way or the Greek way. You get, you know, you get this uh, massive information that, uh, 
you kind of cross check it and and vet it and then oh okay well this is how this is how my yeah. style is going to be based off of all that information so. yeah that that's that's really important so what kind of roles do you see yourself having as a coach is it just coaching or what kinds of roles do you see yourself having with the the athletes that you coach uh i, I guess you have to <laughs> yeah. ask them <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, for me, I, I just feel that sport and the water polo, like we were talking earlier, it's such a great vehicle for all these life lessons. Um, and you know, again, going through it, you're thinking, oh, this is just what you're supposed to do. This is just how you're supposed to operate. And then, you know, you start talking to employers or people that are looking for student athletes. So there's a reason why they want student athletes because they're used to waking up on time. They're used to doing the extra stuff uh, after hours of work. They're used to just finding a way to win at, at what they, whatever they're, they're going to do. Um, so I think as a coach, you know, we're navigating these kids through, you know, 20 hours a week of training and, you know, then they have to do all these academic things. And nowadays with the internet, they're, they're, they check the box for, uh, for these kids is, it's pretty yeah. challenging. And, um, you have to you have to be on top of your stuff to have it, uh, um, you know, for all of it to work or to, to be successful academically and athletically. And I think helping them navigate through that and, and there's times to push and there's times to, uh, you know, back off and be empathetic. And um, but I think it's just it's more like we talked about earlier, the culture, you know, we, t we throw culture around a lot, but that's just a set of expectations on how we're going to operate and. And for me and for my athletes, I hope it's very clear on this is what we do. Like this is this is how we're going to approach this situation. And then, you know, everything else is up to the water polo gods or, or up to. But we, you know, we put everything into this that, that uh, you know, yeah. that, we, that we could. So, you know, if we're, we're going to live by this code. And if it works out, great. If not, OK, we're, we're at least we're, we're you know, yeah, true to that's our code, a really so. good point. I've read there's a lot of books out there around culture code and, and different things. But how what are some of the guidelines of the values that you've used to define the the code of culture with your athletes? How do you communicate it? Well, I think everything is for me respects everything. I mean, you respect yourself, you respect your suit, you respect the ball, you respect your teammate, you respect your administrators, you respect mm -hmm. your boss, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You respect training. Um, and if you're disrespecting training, that means you're cutting corners, right? If you're um, disrespecting your, your teammate by being late, then you're um, telling him it doesn't mean that much to, to you. Uh, so uh, the respect is is big on all levels. And then how do we communicate that? I mean, I think, I think uh, the athletes who come to play for us, for me, they, we find, they find that out pretty quick. Um, you know, the expectations on, on yeah. how we're going to operate. Um, yeah. So respect so. is respect in everything in a bunch of different areas, but that that's really key. And it's kind of a, a maybe a, a, a forgotten, quality and in, in younger generations in terms of what respect really means and how you operate on it. But, but uh, that sounds really important, especially for a game that demands so much discipline. Yeah, it's, and uh, my, you know, I'll tell a quick story and it's actually a bad story okay. about me, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> we were playing, uh, we're, you know, where, where I learned where the, where the details matter, where, the, where this stuff matters. We were playing um, Cup Winners Cup Finals in, in Mladost in Zagreb, Croatia, when I was playing with Olympiakos. And our clocks were messed up. We didn't have phones. We had flip phones and stuff like that. But our clock was a little off in our hotel room. And myself and Adonis Vodakis, who was a Greek center for a couple Olympics, we were a minute late to the meeting um, prior to playing in the finals, wow. the first leg of the finals. And our, and, and our coach, Dominic, he, he canceled the meeting. You know, he sat us the first wow. half of the game. And we're talking about the finals. We're not talking about, you know, a preseason game. It didn't mean anything to where, you know, you're going to make your, your, uh, your hard statements and you're going to have your, your, your lessons. And at this time I'm 27 years old. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a kid, you know, and, um, and the lengths that he went to prove the point is, well, for a couple of reasons, I'm talking about it today and it was mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Um, and, you you can guarantee I'm never I've never been late for anything in my life unless there's a real emergency. <laughs> um, because uh, you know you are even if you're a minute late, five minutes late, thirty seconds, you're disrespecting uh, the whole group. And why were we the only two that were right. late? You know. Um, so obviously, you know, in our immature way or non-professional way at that at that time, um, you know, less less. What hard, a lesson. You know, yeah, and I even I even uh, got smacked in the head too. <laughs> Twenty seven. Yeah, and you were probably one of the more veteran or the, one of the better players on the team. And a coach being able to look past the idea of hey, we need our best team in the water. We need to focus just on winning. He's focused on yeah. life lessons and he's focused on culture and what it takes to win. Yeah, and we uh, wow we lost that game. Uh, but it's, uh, back back then it was a two game, so we lost bad there in, in Zagreb. But then when we came back to, we had a young team, a young Olymp- Olympiakos team, and we and and uh, Mlados had great Croatian greats like Bukic and um, Siemens and these guys, and they they crushed us. And then we, so they expected just to you know come come into Greece and and walk through, and we beat them in Greece by wow. four goals. <laughs> so, it's, but that's that's it. Like it's like. Here's some expectations. Here's some this. Here's the okay. Well, you beat us this much, but how, a bunch of young Greek kids and, and myself and our old goalkeeper uh, Makis Voltarakis were able to to beat these, you know, so-called legendary guys, and they were pissed. And they won the cup, <laughs> and they were pissed. <laughs> but it's it comes from you know yeah, we weren't late. That you learned day. your lesson. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are great uh, values and and stories and, and uh, you know, different characteristics of what it takes to be a winner in every, anything, not just sports, but in life. And um, this is just fantastic. If, if you were to sort of share some guidelines for parents and athletes in terms of the college recruiting process from your experiences as a coach mm-hmm. and maybe even as an athlete, I don't know if you can remember all that, but uh, it, it's probably changed a bit. But are there some some lessons learned or some guidelines that you would give for the recruiting process? Um, I mean, I think, I mean, it's truly kind of the laws of attraction take place. Um, I don't want to make a, how can I say, I don't, I don't want to make some analogies that (laughs) aren't appropriate, but it is kind of, it is kind of like dating, I guess. And, um, you know, from the, the coach's standpoint, they're looking to get the best players and student-athletes they can get. 
you know, and from the player's perspective, they're trying to get the best education and or college experience they can get. Um, so I, I just really think it's important that um, doing the soul searching and, and mm-hmm. knowing thyself, right? Like parents need to understand that maybe their kid's not the best uh, kid and or some parents need to understand that do, do we want to pay $70,000 a year for, for an undergraduate education? Uh, so it's all about finding fit and what makes sense for each family. Every family's different. Um, but what are you getting? Are you, so let me, let me, you're going to mm-hmm. get a brand, right? So what is that brand? What is that brand doing for you? Is it, is it purely I'm buying the Porsche because I can drive around and brag about the Porsche or is it really a superior vehicle that fits my needs, right? It's the parents really have to understand where the kid, they got to listen to their kids. They got to work. Are they going to be comfortable? It's not about, not about the parents anymore. Like the, the kids have to go and feel comfortable, like the team, like the coach, like the experience that they're going to be have for four years. Cause in all reality, our college experience is our biggest identity and brand moving forward yeah. in our life. It's, you know, you see yourself as, uh, you know, a gaucho for life and mm-hmm. I'm a bear for life. <laughs> you know, it's in our, in our, uh, you know, in our society, it's, it's, it's a big identity thing, but, uh, but also what, what did you get out of your experience or what skill sets did that experience give you that was unique to that time and that place and that coach and how, what that university or in that city was, was doing? Is it a small school, big school? What, what kind of, you know your kids. What what kind of experience do they want? Where are they going to feel comfortable? Are they going to go and sit on the bench and never play? And but they still got us a great education, and that's yeah. what you want. Great. Um, but there's so many pr- great programs and so many great coaches that uh, that you know kids can get a great valuable education and valuable. Experience. Yeah, but like you're saying, uh, it depends on what you prioritize and what's the best cultural fit beyond just the label of being associated with the university right. and what that means. But we're not, we're talking about life education and a very um, important developmental stage of your kid's life. Um, the type of music, the type of food, the type of experience they have in college stays with them. They're, they're, they're life defining tastes and preferences. And um, so I think you have to factor that in too. I mean, yeah, I don't know. For for me, Cal was was a a slam dunk because uh, I want I wanted something different than Orange County. I wanted to experience the world. I wanted to experience different cultures. I wanted to, um, you know, be dirty. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> See, I, I didn't want everything sparkly and clean and nice and perfect. I, I wanted uh, I wanted a different experience, and uh, and that's what that provided for me. And um, I think that that, that was great. important. Yeah. For me, you know, but, but everyone else has got to find out what that is. You know, it's, they got to find out what that, what are the attributes of that experience that, uh, that think they might, they yeah. might get. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah. There's a ton of, uh, valuable insights in this interview today, Gavin, thank you for joining us so much. And if to wrap up, are there any final thoughts that you wish to leave with listeners, whether as an athlete, parent, or coach that could be listening to this today that they could walk away with and, and really apply in their own situation? Oh, uh, wow. That's, that, that's the big question. Um, <laughs> the big question. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I just say, just support your kids, uh, whatever they're doing and, and but let them fight their battles and um, just help them to pick them up when they, when they fall down and that's it. So, but let them fall. It's yeah. Okay. Great message. Simple, clear, okay. specific, Yeah. but hard, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, we gotta, we, we gotta learn to fail, right? I mean, we yeah. gotta learn to fail. Thanks Gavin. How can people uh, connect with you they, and follow you on social media? Um, well, you know, at my age, I'm uh, great at social media, <laughs> but, uh, you can find me. I, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I, I think I've done a couple Instagrams, but, uh, a couple Instagram posts, but, uh, I tweet from time to time, but, uh, I'm all at Long Beach state website, um, for, for, uh, for Long Beach related stuff. Um, so you can find okay. me. Yeah. Thanks. We'll add some links to, uh, Follow along through Long Beach State and maybe your Twitter handle for all the listeners if they want to reach out to you. But thanks again, Gavin. Okay. Thank you so much for all your insights and your experiences and lessons learned. And I know people are going to gain a ton from this. So thanks again, Gavin. Oh, I hope. Thank you. Thank you, all Brian. Right. Stay safe. Stay safe. Thanks. Hey, Brian. Well, a great interview uh, with Coach Gavin from Long Beach State, an assistant coach from the national team. Uh, had so much to offer up and say. Um, anything stand out to you or our listeners and guests to take away? Yeah, there's a ton there. I really thought that he gave us a lot of perspective from both the athlete's point of view and from the coaching point of view. And the first thing that stood out to me, and I'm sure everybody took away how important this was to coach Gavin, um, what were the mentors in his life and how much valuable guidance they gave him both at a young age and then all the way through college and then the national team and then even into his coaching career. Yeah, he uh, it definitely shaped who he was as a coach or who he is as a coach. Um, just hearing all the stories and details of all the coaches uh, of how they kind of helped him along his way in this process. And one thing I've realized through our interviews is um, there's a there's a common thread of a lot of the athletes had always had, or they seem to have had like a coach or a mentor or somebody to have a belief system in their process, and he kind of pinpointed that uh, as he is he switched from swimming into the Olympic arena, where he obviously was highly successful. I thought that was that was a common thread we keep kind of hearing on on the on the podcast. Yeah, it makes a good. Uh, position for mental coaching as mentorship as well doesn't it yeah yeah i mean it's just helping to install that and and we do hear that a lot from the older kind of coaches or athletes where they you know wish they had had somebody to help them and you know along the way as they were younger um even though they were still successful um so it, it does make that point pretty clear what did you think about um you know i really kind of loved this concept he was presenting on ebb and flow um in in an athlete's journey on success and moving through the trials and tribulations yeah i took away that he was talking about different adjustment periods as you transition maybe even between teams or between seasons or in his case it was between countries and the cultural experiences he had and and how the emotions that you go through and that you become aware of within yourself, um, they, they kind of need to be brought to the surface. And as you learn more about yourself and through the experiences that you have, 
you realize, okay, what it really takes for you. And he mentioned, he actually learned there was an actual timeline that of three months, I think he said, when he went to a new team in, in Europe where he knew, okay, for the first three months, it's probably going to be a difficult transition period, whether it's language or if it's uh, working with the new coach or the new team or just learning the new city and the new landscape and the link, you know, figuring out where to go for groceries and, and how to live my life. So I think the ebb and flow and adjustments between the cultural experience he had really kind of gave him an idea of how to live his life. And, and, and coach, and he took that like to all the way to the end with some of his coaching. I, I think you, you know, the coach's name, but the coach that had sat him, you know, for being a minute late to one of the you know most important games. Uh, and they were just a minute late. And, and that goes back to the details in which he was, he was very aware of like all the little details matter. And, and he even mentioned your name and, and kind of capitalizing that and working with, you know, his team is finding value in every little thing you do because it all matters at the end. And sure enough, he was a minute late and they got benched for the first half. You know? I mean, what a great life learning lesson, right? Could you imagine how many coaches do you know that would sit one of their best players in a championship game in a professional team even? I mean, that, that takes a lot of guts right it really it really does i mean and and that was and that shows how good of a coach he is i think because like when i look at coaches like popovich or or some of these other coaches they make sure that their players learn a life lesson or something that's going to go way beyond what their what the sport or the game is totally and gavin also said you know coaches are like teachers breaking things down into lessons plans and then teaching skill sets as building blocks. So um, kind of having this vision of what he wants his athletes to learn, but then figuring out ways to communicate the building blocks and then stack them one by one into this really detailed process. Um, it really shapes kind of the trajectory an athlete goes through to mastering their craft. And I'm really happy that you asked him and he nailed it, in my opinion, on this recruiting piece for athletes, because I think it's just so true with the athlete, the parent and the coach or the brand, you know, in school, uh, you know, hit the perspective on that. What was your takeaway from his comments there on the recruiting process? Because it's so important for so many people right now. Yeah, and he mentioned a lot. And I think it I asked the question at the end of the interview, but truly for me it started at the beginning of the interview and in, in how it shaped his coaching philosophy and his style and, and what he looks for because at the end he talked about it's really kind of finding this match and making sure that you're um, not, not only through the sport but through the university and um, the team and every, the city that you're living in I mean it has to really fit with what you hope to get out of a cultural experience and an educational experience at a university and figuring out the attributes of the cultural experience at a university you might want and what you think you might get. There's there's two different things, what you might want, but then also what you think you might get. And um, it starts with the mentality. Like for him, when he was swimming, it was the race every day mentality that he said was so simple for him and learning to control the controllables. 
um, in in the individual team compared to the individual team sports situation or or the you know the collective team sports like water polo or other you know more coactive team sports and 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 just kind of like really taking in all these factors that make it the right match for you um, and and, and to end on that piece because I thought that was so important for me when I listened to what he was saying is so you know for parents and, and for the athletes themselves you know parents support your kids you know, let them make decisions, let them fail, but, you know, don't let them fail too far, too low. But, but, but really for the athletes and the kids going to schools, you know, you really have to make sure it's a good fit for you for a a couple different areas. Um, You know, the cultural experience, the college experience and the sport experience. And I love empowering the athlete or the student to, to make that decision. Um, so such a great uh, interview, Brian, and you just brought a lot of stuff to the table for, I think, our listeners to to kind of take home with. So I appreciate you for that and Gavin for, for um, the time. Yeah, thanks, Ami. Thanks, everyone. Right. have a desire to be great in what you do and a keen interest in the mental aspects of performance then you're in the right place. Well You Mental Training seeks to push the edge of the mental game through evidence-based practices and stories from athletes similar to the one you're listening to today. Your collaboration matters as part of this process so please head over to iTunes and leave us a review with your honest feedback on the podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say. If you are as excited about the mental training stories you are hearing as we are, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and teammates too. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WellUApp. That's W-E-L-L-U-A-P-P. And learn more about the work our mental coaches are doing through LinkedIn and Facebook.